Welcome back, Rebels. What makes you happy? I think this is something that people need to ask themselves a little bit more. We quite often think about the external factors. So the times when we'll get adrenaline rushes, we're out with our friends, having fun, we're drinking, we're partying, we're listening to music. We're kind of, it's always like the exciting, funny times. I think we generally think of, oh, this makes me happy, like going on a roller coaster, those, those little things. There's other places in your life that you are happy. And I think it's knowing where to take the happiness from. So I think you see it a lot where people will base their happiness on the number of likes that they receive, especially when it's something creative. Uh, whereas I think it can actually be a lot more beneficial to just focus on yourself a bit more in the practice rather than the response you get by posting something. I think of all the episodes we've ever done, my my like main takeaway from any episode may be Justin Khan's episode when he spoke about baseline happiness. Yeah. I think that it almost needs to be at the foundation of every single thing we do is just remembering that that baseline happiness because everything else is the peaks and the troughs that surround our lives are always going to be there and there's going to be deep valleys and there's going to be high peaks but it's the baseline happiness that you always return to that's always the most important and along that journey i mean so much of it is is starting to understand the human brain starting to understand yourself and there's been so much content created recently about how manipulated we are by social media that it it triggers down into our very caveman brain um, and activates these certain things and and so that we rely on it. I was reading a book recently that was talking about how the alerts on our phones are red and that's because it forces us to take urgent action on those notifications and the fact that us seeing that we've not responded to someone um, makes us feel like it's a very tribal thing because it's very important that the tribe communicates with each other and if we if we know that we haven't, if we've left someone without a reply, that's basically us turning our back on them, which is very, very rude. I don't. I, I did this once actually. I was um, in a station with a massive bag that this bloke watched me struggle to the to the top of the stairs with, um, and then he came over and asked me a question uh, about what train he needed to get, and I gave him all of the information he needed of what platform he needed to go and blah blah blah, and so he disappeared off and he didn't even say thank you. The fact that he'd like seen me struggling with the bag, didn't say thank you, all of that stuff. I was just like, what a rude arsehole. Anyway, he came back because he'd forgotten something that I said. And he was like, oh, where did you say that thing was? And I turned my back on him. And the the sort of like... <laughs> like physically. It was it, like, I had, it had a physical effect. Like literally I, I, I got like almost like goose pimples on my back because my body knew this is not something I'm supposed to do. Like socially, this is this is very, very weird what i've just done i've just completely ignored another human being but i was so pissed off that he was obviously an asshole like, he watched <laughs> me struggle with the bag and i kind of saw him and I, like it was basically a suitcase full of heavy pain you know how bloody heavy those bastards yeah, are. yeah that's so heavy and i was yeah. like lugging and the the um escalator was down so i was like i was like dragging it up these stairs and i saw him clock me and i thought i wonder if, if he's gonna because in that situation i would be like i'm gonna go and help that dude um, yeah, yeah, so yeah. I, I kind of wondered if he was going to and he didn't but then he asked for something for himself and then he didn't even say thank you and he fucked off anyway that pain that I felt in turning my back on him oh, uh, uh, that actually felt quite good but I knew in, in myself <laughs> that it felt wrong yet from ignoring a notification it was a long story to get to to get to that but everything in technology is is designed to take our time and the way it's going to do that is by making us feel good but there's a limit to how much your phone is going to make you feel good, even though it is like constantly. So whoever's listening to this right now, their phone is right by them and it and it's always right by us. We're always like right by the side of our phones, but it doesn't have a direct impact on our actual happiness. It's more of this kind of almost like a nicotine patch that you're wearing that's, that throughout the day is just like giving you these little bumps. But our baseline happiness has to be built on something more than this, this, as you said, social media interaction. Is it's realizing that what what moments am I happy in the process of creating what I do? And I actually think that the times I'm happiest are if I've just created a piece and I've just finished my edit and I'm looking at it, quite often I'll be like, oh, like every, now and again, I'll be like, oh my God, that's so good. Like I'm so pleased with that. And it's like, I'm so much more happier in that moment of achieving something personally than I am when I get loads of likes on Instagram. It's like whether that piece goes and gets 2,000 likes or 10 likes actually doesn't bother me because 
it's like I know that there was a period where I just finished it that I was so happy with it that I was just like got this adrenaline rush and I was like this is so good I'm so pleased with this that is a really important part to have with your art I think it's that little moment between finishing it and sharing it with the world appreciating what you've achieved by creating that I think it's really important because it's like it's very easy to just create something finish boom straight on the internet and there's not even that time of reflection of thinking like did I enjoy doing this did I do this for me did I learn something whilst doing this did I get better at this certain part of it by doing this and we're just in this rush to just post it all the time and I think as soon as we start getting to this stage where we're just creating things really quickly putting them up on the internet just to quickly get some more likes come through I think that's a really dangerous place to be and I think having that little period of like reflection on your art is important because you can even say like are you happy with this or did you just create it so you had something to post that day because I've definitely had that before where I'm like oh shit I'm trying to post every day at the moment I haven't posted anything it's this time oh shit I'll just go through a back to catalogue find something quickly edit it put it up and I'm not happy with it whereas now I try a lot more to be like okay do I actually like this and then asking myself that question of like, do I actually like it? It's like, yes, if I put it up, I know there's guaranteed going to be a certain amount of likes in it because even if I put up something really bad, there will be so, some people would just like things anyway. But it's like, do I like it? And I think that's a really important thing to, to think about when you're posting things because you want to be heading in the direction that you actually want to be heading in. There's a real power as a creator of, of making that work that is for you and knowing that not everyone's going to understand it and i think that's fine it's difficult because because obviously we talk on this show about you turning your passion into a career and if you are vincent van gogh or suzanne or monet or or one of the many many artists who only became famous after they died you could be making really important work right now that the world is not ready for and if the world's not ready for it then you're not going to be able to um to monetize it but in terms of your like baseline happiness to go back to that if you are making work that is important to you there's there's really something to be said for that even if you just even if you never make it into a career there's something to be said for that that sustainable like making that work that that really matters i i just saw a tweet from outcast and i took a screen grab of it because i think it's so cool it says we understood the assignment but broke all the rules while we did it and then there's pictures of like Benjamin Andre in a like a giant pink suit. Uh, it's like fucking ridiculous. Um, like the wacky, wacky outfits that they're wearing. These these four pictures and both of the dudes from Outcast are just are just wearing like mad, mad shit. And looking back to that that time, like late nineties, early two thousands hip hop, there was no one that was doing that. And they they really put it all on the line. And they could have absolutely been shunned by the industry and and i'm sure there were a lot of people in, especially in the early yeah. days when they had no social proof who were like not into what outcasts were doing because it was very very experimental it, it was groundbreaking and not pe people aren't always ready for groundbreaking um but they were making work that was authentic to themselves if they had come out with like all of the the thug shit that was really really popular at the time like how happy would they be? How sustained would their career have been? Like, would we have, we never would have got a song like Hey Ya. I mean, what, like, like one of the most famous records ever made in the history of ever, um, made from a band who came from hip hop, who, and I, like, it's not even a hip hop record, but they had the artistic confidence to just, just, just do to just do them, like do whatever the fuck they were doing. And it may, and they made some amazing art. I'm, uh, hearing about someone say years ago that they were at like Reading Festival or somewhere like that uh, and Kings of Leon were headlining that year and I remember the, the crowd were just chanting for Sex is on Fire because at the time that was like a big hit in the chart and that's all people wanted to hear from them especially at somewhere like Reading Festival where they've not gone to see that band specifically they've gone to see all of the bands that day and from what I heard is the lead singer kind of got a bit stroppy on stage and was like, we're not playing that song, we hate that song. And it was so interesting because it's, that's the song that put them in front of so many people and basically hit the masses. But it was something they didn't like and they were constantly being asked for it. And I think that's why it's really important to make sure you're creating the work for you because otherwise you end up in a stage just creating stuff for other people that you don't like all the time. And that's all people ask for. So it's like, if you don't wanna be that person on stage saying like, stop telling me to do this because I don't want to do that 
make sure that you are authentic and you go the outcast route and just put the stuff out that you want to put out and if you can find the right audience for that who, who it resonates with at the right time like that's where everything's just going to click into place and the magic's going to happen. Yeah, I think I think this episode we've got coming up with Poppy Chancellor is uh, one of our best episodes we've ever done. We got super deep as we always do with Poppy. And as you guys listen to this, I want you to really reflect on where you are in your creative journey, what what you're happy with, like, like what work you want to make um, and really, really reflect on are you making shit for likes because it's working or are you making the stuff that really sets your soul on fire that's authentic to you that makes you feel alive because there's only a certain amount of time that you can sustain making the work that's that's not bringing you joy yeah i think people will get a lot from this episode yeah definitely and just just to kind of like tie that all in i think with baseline happiness so much of that is like that's the thing you're doing all the time baseline happiness is the process so if you can make sure that you're doing something you enjoy then your baseline happiness is going to be higher because the process is enjoyable so if we can make sure that the process is heading in the direction that we want it to go and it's something we actually enjoy doing that's going to improve all of our baseline happiness and yeah i think this episode is so important so let's get into it yeah so before we jump into this amazing episode we just wanted to mention that our next access is coming up on the 4th of May Tuesday the 4th of May access is our free Zoom hangout event where we do a little talk and then we answer your questions um do a Q&A and this access coming up is very special because we've got a big announcement on how you guys can get involved with this show yeah it's something we've been talking about for a little while now and I think it's going to be it's going to really kind of shake up how we do this show uh, and I think it's going to really like benefit the community and benefit you guys listening. So, yeah, so definitely come along to Access on the 4th of May. You can go to creativerebels.co forward slash access to sign up and we'll send you an email link on the day. Yes, with your free ticket, creativerebels.co forward slash access. And now let's chat to Poppy Chancellor, the amazing paper cut artist, um, grief expert and just all around rocking dude. Hi, Poppy. Hi. Welcome back. Thank you, God. What an what an amazing experience we've all been through since last time we spoke. <laughs> it's been been a few changes. Um, I think like your episode that we did before it was back in season one of Creative Rebels. It was actually like one of our most listened to episodes of that season. I think it resonated with with so many people, and we got we got a bit deep, didn't we? We got really deep. And I remember when you told me that it had been a highly listened to episode. It's so funny because I remember thinking, why? Sometimes you just don't have the confidence to be like, that was a great episode. And then when I listened to it back, I was like, no, this is like, this is really helpful. This is really interesting. And actually, when you told me it, it had been the most listened to, I did have that thought of why. But I actually felt really happy as well. I felt like, oh, I'm really glad that something that, you know, a conversation that we had could resonate with people. And yeah, I was actually really, really happy when you told me that. I think so often when it comes to the struggles, we quite often have, it's probably a human brain thing of thinking we can be the only person in the world that's going through this. Yeah. And it's only when you start to actually really share that stuff that people come out of the woodwork and go, oh shit, I was feeling that too. I thought I was the only one as well. Mm. And then you can develop a big massive club around you of everyone who's feeling the same and just realize actually these these feelings are completely normal. And I mean, the amount of feelings we've all been feeling over the past year have been bloody intense, been a fucking roller coaster. We've had all the feels. We have, yeah. And I think like one of the reasons why that was one of our most listened to episodes is because I think a lot of your audience came and listened to it. And I think that's kind of credit to you for the fact that you've built an audience who actually cares about who you are and what you do. What do you think it is that makes your work resonate so much with your audience? Um, I've been thinking about that um, because I guess over the pandemic, my output has been less. I've been struggling, I think, with that because I wanted to... I didn't feel creative. I really did not feel creative at that time. And um, I think because I really value my audience, I didn't want to push myself into being super relevant or creating content all the time or really exploding 
which I saw a lot of people do in that lockdown space. It just wasn't how I was feeling. I was feeling really anxious. I was feeling like a lot of my grief again was coming up to the surface because I didn't have a lot of the things that uh, I kind of used as coping mechanisms to support me. I didn't have that anymore. And I think sometimes when you value your audience, you know not to force it. I felt bad that I wasn't just churning out content, but I also was like, they'll be able to tell because a lot of my work is so much how I'm feeling. And actually a lot of how I was feeling was, it actually felt quite private and also like I needed to work it out, you know, with a therapist or with my friends and family. And it hadn't got to a point where I could make work about it really yet. So I'm learning to just appreciate that stillness actually, because I really thrive off of the speed, the the new brief, the new um, collaboration, the new client. I love that um, cycle. And it actually feeds into my creativity as being very busy. And having every project, every talk, every workshop cancelled, I kind of didn't have that flow. And I had to just let myself say that's okay um, not to have that output right now. And I'm not going to force myself to be a content machine right now because I'm feeling really fragile. <laughs> yeah, that reminds me of something yeah. you said in our first episode together uh, was the mm. fact that you should make work for yourself, not for Instagram. And I think that's something that always that little quote, I think we took as, took it as a little snippet and it always comes back. Mm. And like we mentioned it a few times in the show. And I just think about it. Yeah, I mentioned it on Emma yeah. Gannon's podcast the other day. Yeah, like it's, it I quoted it you comes directly. up oh, wow. all the time. And I think it is so important that you don't just fall into this trap of just creating because you feel like you have to. And I think I've been seeing it a lot recently as well with different people who where certain algorithm changes happen and people get really like, oh shit, like my content isn't getting the likes that it used to. I must be doing something wrong. And then they just mm. like plow just so much time into like, oh, well, I need to quickly get back on it. And there's almost this panic of like, oh shit, my work's not as good as it was before. So I need yeah. to just quickly churn as much out as possible. But generally, that's not the case. It might be if you're coming from a different place, um, because I've definitely had that when when I force it or think I have to make a super relevant image for the thing that is happening right now so that it gets shared. If that's the root of my inspiration, I have to just go poppy, put that feeling to the side you don't have to be super relevant right now. You're an artist, you're trained, you've been working for years. And it is really hard because of the algorithm and all of you know the dependence that we put into Instagram to just trust that you're a creative person and that doesn't go away. Like I'm a creative, I've been a creative since I was a child. My parents are creatives and they have grown that in me. They've watered me like the poppy flower that <laughs> stunning guys that is a stunning uh, reference um but i have to trust and it's really really hard it goes against that quick fix feeling that i get i love i love getting a, a great response on an image i you know we all know that that makes us feel good and it makes us feel like that image is relevant it's good it's done well but as and, you know, when I went to art school, we would get critiqued by our teachers, by our peers. And sometimes it would be like, you know, I really like it, but maybe my tutors or my peers didn't really like it. And sometimes I was really stubborn and I was like, well, I like it. And I, I actually really want to hold on to that in the Internet space as well, because yeah. some work that I make that is really personal and relevant to me because it is so personal it doesn't have a wider reach and I have to hold on to I like it and it means something to me it may not be relevant for a wider audience right now and some of my work that I make that that I don't have that attachment to does really um, resonate um, on a wider scale so I think how much you know, shareability versus creativity, I think is something that people are really, I've seen so many posts about it. You guys speak about it all the time is making work to be shareable is actually hurts the creative soul sometimes because 
It's yeah. not always the idea that we're having at that moment isn't always the idea that everyone else is having at the moment. And sometimes you feel sad. Oh, I haven't made an artwork in response to that feeling yet. You know, in response to how everyone was feeling in lockdown, in response to politics, in response to what's going on in the world. And actually, I am really realizing that sometimes my voice is not the one that needs to be heard in that space on that topic because I don't know a lot about it. So for me, it's just staying true to what am I feeling, what's resonating with me, and you know, using my work as a diary in a way of of how I'm actually feeling and not. Always, how the world is feeling, because mm. other people might be um, better placed to to speak on that as well. Mm. So, it's kind of just taking time to sit down, sit back, and be with yourself. But it is definitely counteractive of getting likes, um, your audience growing, and actually, I'm just sitting with my audience not growing right now. <laughs> and that's fine. Yeah, yeah. That, it, it it happened to me um, over the pandemic. I got so many comments of people saying you should paint mf doom mm -hmm. and so kind of judging by that feedback that i was getting from people i knew that that was something that people were looking for something that people yeah. wanted and it was shareable um, and that day or yeah the, that totally yeah. you know totally shareable and i and then so then i'm scrolling my feed and i'm seeing like certain people have painted mf doom and it's gone like completely viral it's gone it's gone ballistic yeah and i know that if i do it it will happen but the thing is like I didn't grow up listening to MF Doom. He's not a, yeah. an artist that I was ever a massive fan of. Mm. And I just thought, I know I can do this for guaranteed. I'm going to get a couple of thousand followers off the back of it when it gets shared all over the place. However, at some point I'm going to be interviewed by someone somewhere and they're going to go, oh, what's your favorite MF Doom track? And I'm going to be like, mm. uh. <laughs> and then I'm going to look like an absolute fraud. So it's like one thing we say on the show all the time is make shareable content. If you want to grow, like make shareable content. Yeah. But shareable and authentic is probably the caveat that we should add in because mm. it's like, I know I could paint Bart Simpson every day and it would get shared, yes. but it's like, that's not that's not my core thing. Like if you're a massive Simpsons fan, then maybe that's the route that you want to go down. Yeah. But for me, it's like, I know it would work, but it's kind of a gimmick. And I think it's once you find your authentic voice of what you're actually trying to, like the change you're trying to make in the world and the things that you do want to mark that are important to you, then that's when you're going to make shareable content that actually is going to serve a proper purpose and it's going to galvanise around you the people who believe the same things that you do. Yeah, so you'd get loads of MF Doom fans and then when you're not sharing more of that content, they're going to leave, right? So I think yeah. it's also shareable content absolutely, I think, is great. But I, I actually think the authenticity comes above that shareability in importance because sometimes just sitting back, I know growth is important. I know exposure is important, all of those things. But actually the feeling that you get when you don't make authentic work has an impact mentally, physically on you as a creative. And that's the bit, you know, Adam, you always talk about that is like, actually nurturing your creativity your men your mental health your physical health because that's the product isn't it that's yeah. the product that is going to keep us moving keep us making and the depression that people are getting around instagram right now is that they don't feel that they have that kind of precious connection with their creativity because maybe the they're overriding the authenticity to get to the shareability place yeah and I think that's where like creatives are so sensitive. We are such sensitive souls. And actually, you know, you know that feeling when you work with a client and they're asking you to not be you, the pain, the actual pain that you get when you're like, okay, so you want me to be something else. And, and the feeling when you push back and say, well, you've come to me and this is my voice. This is how I speak. This is how my work looks. And if you would like to go somewhere else, please do. And the courage that it takes to say that, but also the strength that you feel when you stand up for what it is that you do. I always am like, that felt horrendous because I may have lost out on a job, but actually that grounded feeling that I feel now is what's going to spur me on to keep making work that I'm proud of. On that topic there, it's something that I've been struggling a bit with recently is turning people down and then but thinking like how do I do that without like 
upsetting them because obviously they've come to me because they want a certain thing but if that's not what I actually want to produce then what ways do you kind of go to clients and say actually I don't want to do this? You know with my commissioned work and my brand work me doing commissions part of that is that people come to me with mental stuff they come to me with very specific wild ideas that I would never have made but what I really enjoy about that, because they're fans of my work, because they're people that follow me on Instagram, it's like, how can I put their very personal request into an image that I'm really going to enjoy making that looks like my work that will hopefully trigger somebody else to be like, oh, I'd love one of those for me. You know, how can I make a commission that might not resonate with me in any way? Because it's it's usually very personal to them. It's their likes. It's the things that, um, you know, it might be to do with their work or um, their hobbies and things like that, which might be something that I just totally don't relate to. But because they enjoy my work, I know that I can put the way that I draw text, the way that I add in colours, the, the kind of, actual kind of tattoo type styling and formatting of the image, I know I'm going to create something that I really enjoy. It's about how can I twist what I'm being asked into something that I can be really proud of. And also like to be really open and transparent, it depends on how much work I've got. I know that I have to accept a certain amount of commissions to financially live. Yeah. So, um, if there might be a time where I get 10 commission requests that week, I know I could live from doing maybe um, four of them. So there might be a few that I could work out what content do I really enjoy? And I might be able to um, say to those people, um, you know, either, I mean, sometimes I say I don't have the time. Sometimes I say this doesn't work for me. Um, you know, I'm lucky enough to choose what commissions I can take on, you know, and then with brands, it's obviously harder because the stakes for me are financially much higher. But again, you have to not be scared to turn down something that is taking away what makes you you. So I'm working with, um, I would say, like a dream client at the moment. And it's really it's because it's such a mainstream client and they sell in such a wide um, space you know, there's edges to me that I feel like they may want smoothed mm -hmm. off. And actually, I have to, in order to make the work, the, the reason I'm a creative is that I make this type of work. And I have prickly edges and I talk about the light and the dark. And um, I have, I feel like I have a bit of an attitude around what I make. And it's not just paper cuts that are decorative, they have a voice and they say something. And I really have to practice standing firm in the fact that you have come to me and I'm going to give you what, what, what I am. And um, again, it takes practice and I feel like it takes time in that space because, you know, I've sent over loads of sketches and they don't like loads of them. So it's for me to be like, okay, how can I give you what you want and still retain who I am? And that's a kind of the, the client dance that you often have is, is making them happy and making you happy. And it can be a tightrope. It can be really hard. And, um, but I just know that I have to stand firm for my sanity because I've, I've worked on my brand. I've worked on making what I do unique and I'm not going to, there's so many other people that could do what you're asking me for. So either you've got to go to them or you've got to allow me to have my unique voice. And with that balance as well, how do you um, split your time between client work and personal work to make sure that you are doing things that fulfill your creativity? So I would say before the pandemic, I found that really easy because I had so much client work that I get really inspired by um, if I'm doing a project with one, I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. Or if I give it, if, if I've given them an idea that they don't like, I'm like, well, I really like it. So yeah. I'm going to keep making that for my Instagram. So the fact that when you're working with clients, I'm churning out so many sketches, so many ideas, a lot of them don't get used, which meant I could make them for my Instagram. And sometimes they would get such good feedback. The client would come back to me and say, 
oh my God, I saw that you shared that sketch that we didn't like. Um, is it one of your most liked images ever? And I'm like, yeah, it is actually. <laughs> and they were like, maybe we could actually bring that back in. And you're like, um, but but actually with the pandemic, um, I felt that I did a lot more commissioned work than my own creative work because I was in survival mode. So I probably said yes to a lot more stuff because my talks were cancelled, my workshops were cancelled. Um, you know, a lot of my big clients actually um, went into liquidation that I was working with. So projects that I had lined up, that company does not exist anymore. Mm. So for me, it was actually that small, small audience of people that follow my Instagram that were the people that were keeping me going. And in a pandemic, when your job is not for sure, to go to an artist and spend £500 on a bespoke artwork to celebrate your um, your friendship group, which is a lot of stuff that I had in lockdown, was people celebrating their friends, which I hadn't had much before because I do a lot of um, weddings, birthdays, kind of celebratory stuff for my one-off commissions. And this was like people celebrating each other with money that I knew for them was really tight at that time. It was tight for everyone at that time. And I remember just being so grateful because that money was keeping me going. And also it just showed me when it came down to it, what really mattered to people was their connections with each other. And they were prepared to celebrate that in a time where we were all hanging on for dear life to our, well, for me anyway, like my career felt very in the balance. Um, and, you know, for you guys, it's been really great and it's kind of kept going, but I wanted to talk to you guys actually a lot about identity. When your work stops, who are you mm. in the face of no work? Who are you in the face of no money? Like, who was I in the face of my haircut not being what it was? Like, I know this sounds so lame, but like my bob having it crisp and clean and sharp that is something that actually gives me power and energy and it's like part of who oh, I am and my identity so in lockdown I had no work no money I had like long mental hair I was growing out all my body hair <laughs> like I it's so funny how we um define like for me I really define myself from my work and a lot of my confidence comes from looking a certain way and feeling glamorous and feeling shiny and um you know wearing makeup I stopped wearing makeup I just like a lot of my superpowers I think come from also like making money and feeling confident and buying clothes that make me feel good like that it all ties in so I think we all had this time of like who am I underneath the facade that makes me feel good like who am I in those days where I'm on the sofa with nothing to do. And I think that was a really interesting place for people to go to is like, how do I define myself without my work? And how did you decide to define yourself when you started to think about that kind of thing? Um, it was really scary, Adam, like, I'm going to be really honest with you, like, underneath all of that, there's so much pain for me. Um, mm when we talk about grief and we talk about loss and identity, you know, for me, I lost my dad five years ago now. And my parents to me are a huge identity. Um, and my dad was such a huge part of like who I was. He was like this punk rock legend and he, his identity meant a lot to him. And I think I also took that on. So when you're sitting there and all the things that define you are no longer there, I just realized there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of sadness. Um, and that for me being a busy person, that's the way that I get away from it is, is a lot of energy into my work, a lot of the next project moving on. And when you sit with it, our grief does just bubble up. And for me, the pandemic was when the grief conversation really started. And I was like, welcome to grief, everybody, <laughs> you know, People were grieving their lives, their jobs, their relationships, and grief became a conversation that was being had publicly. So for me and a lot of my friends that were having that conversation already, 
we welcomed a lot of people into yeah. that space. Um, and, and also a lot of new people were losing people at a, at a fast rate because of coronavirus. Um, that the community that I had started two years before has now exploded to the point where it's at the same audience level as my illustration work um, because that that community conversation has become, um, I would say, similar to the mental health conversation that, you know, has now become something we can talk about and it doesn't feel so taboo to talk about mental health. I feel like grief, loss, death, um, all of those words that felt and still actually feel quite um, uncomfortable for a lot of people um, are now becoming something that I'm hoping will have that mainstream place because so many grieving people feel so alone and isolated and um, they don't have the words yet to describe what they're feeling. And um, again, that's, that's a place that I'm still exploring with my paper cut work and and I do hope I'm creating um, shareable um, experiences. And I know that people who see my work around grief and around loss are like, this is it. I've never seen something beautiful describing what it's like to lose a loved one. Why would you? Why would people yeah. make um, something that takes them hours and hours around something that's meant to be a private um and you know people think oh it's attention seeking i don't care if you think me talking about how i feel is attention seeking because i am committed to remembering my dad i'm committed to telling people that i love my dad also that he was difficult that we had a difficult relationship that watching somebody die over a two-year period is horrendous and i'm going to talk about mm. that because so many people go through this and I'm going to make it in any way that I would make my work, which is gorgeous, um, beautiful looking, realistic, authentic. It's how I feel about it. And I'm not going to stop because it's a subject that people feel that you should keep to yourself. You're listening to Creative Rebels, the podcast for creatives. If you're enjoying this episode, please consider subscribing and sharing this podcast in any way that you can. I think that's really interesting. That really makes me think about like when you think of the phrase shareable, what does that actually mean? Because I think quite mm -hmm. often we go instantly to the meme generic stuff that just appeals Simpsons. to everyone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whereas yeah. actually, I think if you can just connect people, if you can get some form of connection with your work, then that makes it shareable because people want to, like they can resonate with it. And I think that's probably why your work has been so successful. And the fact that you now have this complete second arm to what you do is because you're connecting people, you're making those real relationships happen, even though it's just through a screen, they are happening still. And I think that's why things are sharing and growing because yeah, because there's real human connection there. And I think if people can bring that into their work like you have, that's where a lot of success can happen. I've never had experience really on what it's like to grow a community. I mean, I, I felt like with my illustration work, I knew um, what it was like to share my work. Mm -hmm. But in at, over at the grief case, I have put so much time into sharing knowledge, sharing resources, having conversations, meeting people, you know, all for free, all in my own time. And it actually means that the relationships over there, I, I couldn't also the growth of that space is not doesn't make me always feel good because I know that these are people that have lost someone. Someone is coming to my space because somebody has died in their life. So I don't celebrate growth in that space. Like say if I hit 20,000 followers or 50,000 yeah, followers yeah, in my Instagram space, I would do a giveaway yeah. and I would talk about it, but I don't have that same feeling in my other space because it's a different thing. It's actually a community and it's it's somewhere that the growth it i couldn't stop it growing if i tried like a lot of people have said would you like to do a collaboration with the grief case so that you can get exposure and actually it's not that i don't want exposure i would love people to know that that space exists and that we do we do monthly meetups and that we talk about grief over there but 
but it's growing organically in a way because people want to continue that conversation around grief. And I don't feel that exposure is what that space would actually mm. um, benefit from if it's to do with that's they're going to pay me an exposure or whatever they say about these things. It's like people are organically finding that space and I would like it to stay that way for now. Whereas if, with my illustration work, I've, you know, I have done stuff for exposure because that actually helps my reach. It helps me pay my rent and things like that. Um, and as I'm sure you guys have spoken about so many times, as we progress in that space, it's easier and easier to say, exposure, don't pay the bills, guys, you know. And in some places, you know, exposure is helpful. But I know that in that other space specifically, I've grown it to the size that it is um, without without kind of um, brand collaborations and things like that. And it doesn't feel comfortable for me in that space to kind of start monetizing it in that way. And, you know, we've done articles and um, a lot of my friends have done, um, you know, interviews and TV shows. They've been on the news talking about what it's like to lose people in lockdown and I think that kind of thing where people can find you because that's what they're looking for, I think is really important. But yeah, growing a community organically in that way has been something that has been truly amazing. And you realize what what relationships really mean in that space. Like I've made true friends when I have people that don't understand my grief. I've now got 20 people that are my close friends that have all lost somebody and who all exist in an Instagram space that I can be like, God, it's it's funny to share about your loved one in another space where everyone has their own story about somebody. And um, yeah, that connection there is something that I really, I grew over lockdown because I didn't have my own work to do. So that thing that I loved that I was doing on the side, I was doing like lives three times a week with people that had written books around grief with Cariad Lloyd, who has her podcast um, with actors. And, and I was like, oh my God, this is like a conversation that people are excited about and actually willing to have. So I'm hoping grievers feel less like they're, they're in the dark with that space. One of your like core skills is patience because you've understood that you can sit with these feelings for a long time and that that the art will come later, you'll process it, and then you'll get an authentic product that that comes out later. Mm. Because I know we talk a lot on here about style and finding your style and it being a whole journey mm. and, a, and a long a long process. And I mean, even in the time that I've known you, your work has changed. Right. And you've you've taken there's so much joy in your work and empowerment and and sassiness and sexiness and and bounciness. But then there's also the the like the joy of sadness, if that yeah, makes any absolutely. sense whatsoever, yeah. um, and the, the embracing of the grief, and and you you take those those both of those themes and like and mesh them together really beautifully, knowing that it took you three years after your dad died before you were able to to process that. I guess gives you the confidence now of knowing everything that's going on in the moment, like I'm not just going to jump on it and it's not going to be loads of paper cuts of masks or whatever. Um, It's that work's going to come later when I've actually had a chance to reflect on this properly. Yeah. And because I've been patient, it doesn't actually always mean that that feels comfortable. It actually doesn't feel good for me to feel patient because there is that feeling of missing out of mm. of wanting to provide content. I want people to see my work, but I just know that I have I have to just sit with it until I've got something to say. And um, you know, in lockdown, it 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 does it did you know it just did feel really painful for me to not know what to make and to not feel that very easy creative spark that I feel when I'm working. I didn't have that. And um, to just sit with it, I knew I had to go back into therapy. I knew I had to maybe try some other things. I did a lot of cross stitch in lockdown. Um, and also like my perfectionism, I'm really, really like when I have an idea, I see it in my head and if it doesn't look like that when I make it, I like tear it up and throw it away. And um, 
I'm trying to be more at ease with the imperfect in my work. Like Adam, you always say, like, try other things that aren't your niche. Yeah. So like doing some life drawing, doing some still life drawing, doing some watercolor, doing the stuff that I was trained to do in art school that I that I do in my own time. But as you know, it's good to have your niche and to, um, you know, oh, I wrote something down because it made me laugh. You guys were talking about niches. Niches make riches. Yeah. From rags to niches is quite a good one. Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just think having your niche, which is how people define you, it's your brand, it's the thing that you work on, but then also having these other outlets that you're not good at just to play creatively, like you said, with the pottery mm. or the life drawing, or for me, it's like journaling, like trying to write poems and um, just having something that isn't precious because mm -hmm. I just get so uptight about, I know how I want my work to look. It has to look it has to tick certain boxes for it to be my work, right? And actually creating something that I'm like, oh my God, that is like a really rough sketch that um, is not, you know, the wording is a bit off center or it's a bit wonky. I, I really should embrace the imperfection because trying to make it perfect, I know is stifling me. And um as as you I feel like as you start to know what your work is right and you work to get to that place where you have a recognizable thing um I think it's just as important to sometimes cast that aside every now and then because you have to stay malleable you have to stay creative and actually becoming so specifically you that you can't be anything else ever um that really sometimes um is a blockage for me like it doesn't look enough like my work but we have to have places where we can mess around where we can get it wrong it, people don't have to see it but I think it's important that we do it so that I can have that messy creative kind of um the feelings that I had in art school where I didn't care what I made because yeah. I've never done it before I'd never done half of the things that I tried before sculpture 3d design all of these things and when I look back, I'm like, some of that is really good. Like if I look back at some of the paintings or some of the watercolors, I'm like, I would never do anything like that nowadays. But why don't I give it a go? Because yeah. that I just think we can get so caught up in our thing that we don't allow ourselves to make mistakes and have that like messy play that they talk about yeah. that's so important for creativity. <laughs> 100% and I think that goes back to what you're talking about identity before like if you take the thing that is you away from it what is left and if there is still creativity left in that space then that's a great place to be and I think it also like I almost feel like you should have a separate account called Poppy's Paper Bin or something like that that's literally <laughs> that's a great <laughs> idea Poppy's Paper Bin everything that you would throw away or you'd screw up just take a picture of it post it there beforehand and because I think like it's so nice for people to see those imperfections and those things that aren't perfect and those experiments you do with watercolor and all the different spaces and it's like having that thing outside it like for me I've all, like and we've kind of said it before it's like when you pick whatever it is you're going to do as your main hobby or main profession sorry there always needs to be something else there always needs to be the hobby so if, if your hobby has become your profession then you still need a hobby you can't just like mm. leave that and have nothing otherwise if that get if that stops or that gets really stressful because there's not enough work coming in or something like that, then there is something to fall back to to just enjoy. And I think like we put so much pressure on ourselves to just make money from the thing that we love doing, but there is mm. it's so important to make sure that there is that time to be playful to enjoy what you're doing because it's like that's what it's all about at the end of the day. We should be enjoying things, and if our main thing is isn't bring, bringing us that. What else do we have that can fulfill that need? Yeah, that is so important. And thank you for bringing that home because I needed to hear that as much as everyone listening to this needs to hear that because when you've honed your thing to a point where you feel like you have this shiny product that you're really happy with, because that used to, for me, that used to be my hobby. That used to be my, you know, paper yeah, yeah, cutting yeah. was something that I did in my spare time. Um, and now that it's become, you know, my main financial thing, it is so important to feel bad at something again. I know that sounds 
you know, counterproductive, but like to try something you've never done before to be like, that's why I used to love doing like calligraphy workshops and something. I was so mad that I was like not the best in the class because I was used to being the best at what I did. And actually that feeling is a really creative place because feeling like, oh, I'm not good at it yet. You have that drive to like want to get better, to experiment that things aren't precious. And that is such an important space in the creative mind is like messy, imperfect, throw away, poppy's paper bin. Um, (laughs) I love that. I think as well, it's like when you look at older businesses that are now kind of going out of business because they're not keeping up with the times, it's like they've never put themselves into those areas that they don't feel comfortable in. Or if they, they've tried them and they're like, oh, I don't like this. And then they've come back out. So brands that didn't go online and things like that, that have now closed. It's it so much of it comes down to, yeah, putting yourself out of your comfort zone, I suppose is the, the most simple way to think about it. Putting yourself into situations where you're not the best, where you can learn, where you can grow. Because I think if you're constantly doing that, then you're always developing. And I think as long as you're always growing, always moving towards something else, then like that's what life is. It's like if you're just if you're just content exactly where you are, then the world's going to kind of carry on without you. And then as if what you're looking after like disappears, then you're then lots of people feel lost. And I think that's why it's so important to always be growing in different areas because you never know the way that the world's going to go. Like we didn't expect 2020 to be the way it was. But people who did grow and have got different things, like the fact that you have the grief case means that there was something else there. And it's something else you can keep developing and keep kind of putting your energy into. And I think the more space we have to put our energy into to keep growing and to keep developing is only going to benefit us, like, firstly, as kind of people in our careers, but then also our mental health too. Yeah, and and I think the the mistakes are where, are where you grow. Um, it's like my whole style currently is based off of a, a, an experimentation that was just like a, a, a fluke accident and took me down the path of, of making neon paintings my most viral painting to date which has had over 10 million views o- across different accounts was a piece that i phoned yona halfway through doing and said um i think i'm gonna emulsion over this because it's not going the way that i want it to go and that so easily could have been in the bin and end- ended up being really the 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 painting that sort of broke my career and got loads of attention on on what i was doing that quite easily could have just been a blank wall after a couple of hours of it not going right so perfectionism is so encouraged because everything that we see online is the finished version it is one of the main things um that happened for me during lockdown with the sort of growth of my career was posting videos and the reason i'd never posted a video before is because i never wanted anyone to see the painting at the halfway stage where it looks crap as soon as i got over that and had the courage to say like oh here here's here's it from start to finish people really, really resonated with that. And it's it's not something I'd ever would have, have thought of doing. And I suppose as soon as you do start to show the behind the scenes, the the messy, the mistakes, the, the oh, the choices. Uh, like, that's obviously wrong and it gets painted over and yeah. redone, that, that yeah, the, the people start to actually relate to it a lot more than the, the actual final shiny version. Yeah, I've, I've seen that so much with, um, like you said, that, the final product, especially if I'm an illustrator following other illustrators, I see their final product and I'm always like, wow, that's amazing. And then now with reels, obviously everyone is showing their process and it really is like the behind the curtain of, and I've always been really, really wary of that. Again, my perfectionism coming in because there are so many times where I'm I'm not happy with it along the way. And also showing people how I cope with that feels very personal. Like, you know, whether I throw it away or whether I change the sketch or that kind of tension of actually making something. I've always found that very private. I've always found that something that I wanted to do alone and that I have done alone because I work alone in my studio. And then I realized seeing other people's reels of like their process is just so intimate. It really is like, that's how you made that. Wow. Like this is how long it takes you. Wow. Like 
it's so funny that I love watching people's reels and I'm yet still like too anxious to do my own kind of process reel because I'm like, oh, I don't want people to see. Oh, it's, we're going to bully you into yeah, yeah, <laughs> It's got to happen. No, please do. Everyone's been asking me to do it. And it, again, I, I know I will do it and it's something that I will do. I just need to um, just sit with, with the feeling that I'm having of discomfort and just step through it you know, in, in, in however long that takes, it might be a few weeks, but. What you could do with your stuff is like almost like a stop motion where you don't have to show a time-lapse of the entire thing being cut, Mm -hmm. but you could almost do like, boom, here's, here's one image and then boom, here's the next step. So you could only take photos of it when, or like short video clips of it when it's at the stage that you're happy with. And you could kind of start there. So it's like, boom, 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 and it comes together. I feel like as well, what would work really well is, especially like, because it's you, every time you feel a bit of emotion whilst making that piece, record that, document it somehow. Even if that's a screwing a piece of paper up, chucking it in the bin because you're not mm. happy with where you are. I think mm. like observing the process through the emotions that you have whilst doing it would be a really powerful way to actually document that no that's that is that is a really good point adam it's like my sensitivity and my preciousness doesn't have to be something that i hide from mm-hmm. um and it can be some. and i know this i know deep down that when i share that people have also felt that way people people can relate to that so sometimes the things that we hide instinctively when we do share them in a space um I mean, all I've ever received is like praise and understanding. Um, luckily, because I'm, you know, I feel like my audience is a very safe space. I don't, I don't know how many safe spaces there are on the internet. <laughs> but, um, but you know, it is when you reveal something that you know does feel quite private. People do connect to it, mm-hmm. and I think I, I know that I should be less scared of that and more open to it. I just, I'm quite a, um, I'm actually quite a shy, I'm an introverted extrovert, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I find it easy to be, uh, to express myself and to be kind of loud when I need to, but actually I'm super, like when I meet new people, I find that really difficult and I would much rather be with people that I know. So I have this kind of duality of being extroverted and then also really shy, <laughs> um, so it's kind of yeah working out how does that fit in a in an online space and how much of that um can I share and how much of that feels comfortable for me yeah. to share as well. I think there's there's always the worry as a creative as well that if you show something that's not perfect that people won't like it anymore. And I think that's mm. definitely not the case. Like people mm. will more often than not prefer that authenticity and the realness and actually to see how it's happened. And if you post stuff that isn't perfect the work's not going to go away. I think remembering that, remembering that people enjoy the process. People like want to see how it was made. They want to see the human mm. side of it. I think that's what's missing with a lot of art. It's the kind of human nature that's built into it. It's the personality mm. that the reason why it was made. Um, I'm, I don't know the quote and I'm going to absolutely butcher it right now and I can't figure who it's by. Someone's definition of art was conveying the emotion that the artist was feeling at the time in the work. And I think that that is such a nice way to think about it. It's like if you can, if the way that the artist was feeling comes across within the thing that they were creating, then hopefully someone else can connect with that. And I think having something that people can connect with is going to mean so much more to people rather than something that's just like, oh, that's nice. And then they move on, which is so much of what the internet is now is it's just scroll, that's nice, move on, scroll, move that's on. nice, move on. So if you can actually stop and make someone connect with what you've done, even if that is just showing the process and showing someone that actually we're not all perfect. Yes, I create mm. these things, but it's not like I just get a piece of card, get a blade. I sneeze yeah, and then go, it's created. Snip, 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 <laughs> boom, and there's something that's absolutely perfect. There is like a lot of time that's gone into that. There's a lot, been a lot of renditions. There's been a lot of paper building up in the paper basket. Like there's a lot of mm. things that go into it that I think, yeah, people just need to see how like what the real world is rather than just these this two percent of perfection that we see on instagram and i know from a fact because that's what i enjoy as well so i i am the ideal audience member for i know the stuff that i enjoy and it's just like allowing yourself to also take part in that and i think we're all 
you know, you see stuff and you think that's a great idea, but then you don't kind of do it yourself. It's quite a funny, a funny, like you said, when you, um, people uploading the IGTV videos and you're like, it could just be a reel. And you see people do that. And it's like, it's so funny how, um, we kind of know deep down and it just takes that little bit of courage, I think, just to, to jump into something new. Yeah. Cause we, we all kind of want everyone to see our work, but then also there's kind of this worry of like, what if too many people see my work and they don't like it? It's, it <laughs> well, that's, it's kind of a balance. The thing is, it? the more you grow and the more eyes on, the more people aren't going to like, that's what happened. That is fame. <laughs> that is literally fame Yeah, <laughs> is, um, you know, and people don't like to see success as well. People get pissed off by it. Oh, you've got an easy life. You've got this and that. And that's, you know, that's why successful people are like, I love my haters. Cause they, <laughs> they know, they know that having haters means they're at a level where they are, they have, you know, whatever to them is success, you know? Um, so that's quite interesting too, is like, maybe people's fear of getting too big is also something that they're dealing with. I, and I suppose a lot of it does come down to identity to go back to, to that topic is that as creative people, we're kind of, you're, you're putting your heart on your sleeve and you're putting it all out there. Mm. Uh, I was going to say on the line, but it's really online, um, especially since the pandemic, because there's not really anyone seeing stuff in the flesh. So yeah. we are increasingly living for this digital world and, it's it's almost as a as a creative you're almost like here do you accept me like here's what i've made and it's really interesting you you talking about the time because that i i think that is is such an interesting part isn't it of when you look at a creator because we are so used to seeing just it has been still images on instagram for so long and now we are starting to see how long something is actually taking a person to make and realizing the actual heart and soul that's gone into something. And then that's a very vulnerable place to, to sort of say, well, what do you guys think? Mm. Like, do you, am I, am I okay? Is this all right? My work takes ages to make. And I think when you're on a platform where content is king and, you know, posting however many times a day is literally, you're going to see the changes. You're going to see the numbers go up. You're going to see the interactions come in. And I think when when you are someone who has a longer process, it just, you have to kind of override that feeling of like, okay, I'm going to sit in the studio for this many hours and make all these things so that I can just churn this content out. And actually just sitting in your process and allowing it to take that long, if that means you post less on Instagram, Maybe there's a way that you can work out more content around making that one thing. So whether it's a process video, whether it's you talking about how in, what inspires you, is there kind of more content you can get out of the longer, but like you said, with your process videos, because I'm, I'm sure painting takes ages as well. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just, I feel like I have to sit in the time it takes me to make and I can't speed that up. I can't cut any quicker I can't get inspired quicker and it's just sitting with that I have I have to just sit with it and have that patience and it it's gonna take as long as it takes I think that again is is sometimes an uncomfortable place because you want to be running and you want to be interacting and you want to be you know having that that audience kind of with you along the way but like like we spoke about before it's just sitting with the discomfort sometimes I think is not always a bad thing yeah I think a lot of what creativity is as well and what art is is looking forward for that final piece and I think that's where Instagram is the kind of devil in that situation is because it only gets the final piece so we're constantly mm. waiting like trying to rush through the process just to hit that final piece whereas if we spend more time enjoying the process documenting the process I think everything would be a lot more enjoyable because we don't need to suddenly have loads of final pieces. We can just share the process, share what we're doing all the time. And I think people really resonate with that rather than just like, oh, here's a here's a final image. You'll go mad if you if you don't fall in love with mm. the process. I mean, I've I've mentioned it when you interviewed me, um, that when a painting takes me seven hours and then it's on someone's feed for the maximum ten seconds, but probably less than that, mm. is like that there has you have to be in love with the process otherwise you're fucked because it's not sustainable um and that that goes back to poppy's quote from the first time that we spoke of like 
I want to make it I, like you wrote in your diary, I'm going to make an image for Instagram. And it's like, yeah, that, that, and you told yourself off. Cause you're like, that's, that's, it's just not sustainable. It has to be. Make, make an, an image, image for, for me, make an image for you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, no, I, I, I think the, um, this, this whole conversation, I think the, the general theme really is being okay with where you're mm. at, being, being okay with yourself, with, knowing that this is for all of us we're all on this journey that doesn't actually have an end because we're never going to be the perfect artist or the artist that we want to be it's it's always an ongoing process there's always going to be things that we can improve lessons that we can learn things that we're going to want to talk about that all of a sudden a life change happens and we're all of a sudden talking about something that we've never mentioned before and we're finding a whole new space um i think it's really about just for forgiveness for yourself in a lot of ways and just sitting in this is where we're at and and I was going to say and this is where we're going but it's not it's not even that it's it's sitting in this is where yeah. we're at oh my god that is so perfect because when you realize you're doing you're living your dream I am living my dream I am a creative person I get to get up I like wake up at 9.30, like I am living my dream. Like this is an early start for me, guys. Um, but <laughs> like being able to sit in how, how happy I am that this is my job and remembering how honored I am to do what I do because this is what I always dreamed of. As a kid, I thought maybe I could do these drawings. I, I remember... I was obsessed with Disney as a kid and I was like, maybe I could do creative things in my life. Maybe that's a possibility. And like doing these drawings, it's like living the dream. And um, yeah, just sit like, just sitting with that, um, I think is a really, is a really great place to be. And just, yeah, I'm very grateful that I get to do this. And um, even though, yeah, it's a wild ride up and down and especially has been in the last year we get to do this how exciting yeah even if our hair's fucked up we can still we can still create don't worry i've been to the hairdresser now yeah looking sharp <laughs> yeah now. not today yeah. not today <laughs> no look um poppy it's always so inspiring to talk to you it's an absolute honor to know you and uh, to have you in our network we are very very thankful for you and everything that you do you're amazing, mate. Could you tell our listeners where they can find you online? Absolutely. So if you'd like to follow my paper cuts on Instagram, it's at Poppy's Paper Cuts. Um, and if you would like to find out more about the grief conversation and what kind of support you can get over there, um, I share people's writings and experience over at The Grief Case on Instagram. Boom, boom. Thank you so much. <laughs>